Hello? Hello, hello, hello? This is Neroli Price. She's a new podcast producer oh, at Sound no, Africa. She is out to interview this guy. Smelly. Yeah, you smell like... <laughs> Steve Thorne, energy expert. Also known as Dad. Well, yes, in the early 90s, uh, I, gave, I gave birth to you. <laughs> it, it allowed me to start thinking about what my descendants might be inheriting from my actions. This is the fourth and last episode of the Sound Africa podcast series, Nuclear SA. It's called Countdown, and it's the part of the story you usually never get. The part after the ending of the story, where the consequences of what we do now will become clear. It's a look into the future of energy and the environment in South Africa. My name is Sheba Melissa Mazaza, and Neroli Price has the story. My dad didn't want to be a soldier fighting for the apartheid government. So he fled South Africa and found himself in Amsterdam in 1986, the year of the Chernobyl nuclear meltdown in Ukraine. A zone of deadly radiation is being released from the damaged plant. It was really scary. I mean, people didn't go outside for, for days weeks and you know meat and products that have been grown on land as far away as Wales and and uh, and Ireland were were taken off the shelves because of contamination because this whole cloud of nuclear fissile material ended up going westwards um, th- that's really spooked me um, to see something you know so-called civilian uh, nuclear energy being being so frightening to, to people. And this got him thinking about the next generation. Looking after the earth for future generations is, is something that my generation and the generations before should have concentrated on and need to still, because otherwise we're going to be condemned by uh, you know, the future generations, for sure, and rightfully so. This story is about the next generation. It is about the world I will inherit from my dad and one day pass on to my children. In Amsterdam in 1986, my dad saw how scary a nuclear disaster could be. Chernobyl made him think about the future he wanted to pass on. Today in South Africa, there is a historic nuclear deal with Russia on the table. If it goes through, it will be our future. So now is the time to think about which future we actually want to leave to our children. I don't own a crystal ball, but I'm still going to try to see into the future. I'll talk to people here and now about their predictions, and from these, create three possible future scenarios, the best case, the worst case, and the compromise. Depending on the choices we make now, one of them will likely be our reality one day. Let's start by dreaming of the best case scenario. This is a future where renewable energy is our main source of power. We have carbon dioxide emissions under control and have adapted to the effects of climate change. Miraculously, government is open and transparent about where it gets its energy from and is supporting small-scale and clean power production. 
To picture this best case scenario, let's kick off with a present day example that aspires to be a green utopia. We start at an urban farm in Cape Town's Southern Peninsula. When my colleague Rasmus Beats and I arrived, the Southeaster is pumping, as it often does in this part of the world. Howdy. Hello, hello. We are here to meet the General of the Urban Sustainability Group, the Green Guerrillas. The General is a tall man wearing dark glasses, military boots and a uniform of sorts, with a khaki shirt and kilt turned tool belt of the same colour. He works out of a green office and sees his title as the description of his work. You call yourself the, the general. Where does that come from? Because if you want to farm, you have to be able to do a lot of general things. So that's all about being general. General of the general of the general things. Is that how they say? That's what they say, apparently. This little piece of farmland among suburban homes doesn't look like much from the outside. But... Once inside, the smells and noises of the farm invade your senses. Here we have a sort of a liquid compost that we're aerating um, and heating to 29 degrees um, and then adding sort of different ingredients and using that to inoculate compost. What we're working with is either what is known as waste or what nature is offering. And it uh, smells a bit here. <laughs> to you it smells, but uh, to the plants that's like, that's a nice smell. And what are the plants we are we're walking by here? Kale, lettuce, celery, mustard lettuce, different herbs, tobacco, and some pigs. Are they uh, piglets? Yes, they're piglets. Yeah, I don't think they are saying anything now for the tape. You could probably record them eating. Let's, let's give it a try. Huh? You know, these guys are about 10 weeks old, so it's best to crouch on your haunches so you don't look so big, and then we'll put the food and they'll see if they come to us. Most of us think of boiling a kettle or switching on a light when we think about energy. But for the general, energy is the brown, moist soil that feeds his farm. Here we have our worms. We have um, approximately about one ton of composting worms and they eat pretty much on a, on a good day their own body weight. So the, the worms are our engine block for the farm. It's our big generator. Without it, we're lost. He uses naturally available energy, seeing gold where most of us see waste. This small, independent and renewable type of energy production is what many experts envision for a greener future. So we have to start thinking about waste as, as a resource, in a way. One of these experts is Tara Caetano from the University of Cape Town's Energy Research Center. I am an energy economist, so I'm the person that you would ask if you want to know how many jobs are created uh, when you build a wind farm or um, what's going to happen to growth if we invest in coal-fired plants, etc. Tara, like the general, sees self-sufficiency as a path to a greener and cleaner future. So in our best case scenario, we would have a world where we don't have that much of a temperature rise in 2050, which would mean much less severe weather events, lower sea level rise. We wouldn't have to adapt that much to live as we do 
and we would be using the natural resources that are available to us in the best way. So we would take full advantage of the sun as an energy source, of the wind as an energy source, as I said with water being much less wasteful, um, not having flushing toilets, <laughs> which I think our future generations will look back at us and in disbelief that we're using fresh, drinkable water to flush toilets. In the best case scenario, you and I will be our very own power producers. We will have power plants on our roofs, on our cars, and maybe even on our hats. Small, flexible solar panels everywhere. We will be like renewable energy tortoises, each taking care of our own needs. I think certainly our salvation when it comes to food security will be backyard farming. The general is a renewable energy tortoise. He is preparing for a future where each of us has to look after ourselves. Somewhat like Elon Musk, who is building spaceships in the hope of finding a new habitable planet. Everybody can make an impact, so if, if you regard that as being idealistic, then, well, I mean, it's, you know, it's an opinion, and, you know, opinion is like an arsehole. Everybody has one, so that's your arsehole opinion about my ideologies. The Green Gorilla's Facebook page invites us to join the revolution now. But it's a revolution that everyone pursues in their own backyard. We all can do something. And, you know, there's a saying that says, if you think you're too small, um, you've never spent a night with a mosquito. You know, because that little bastard keeps you up awake and it's just this little mosquito. And maybe I can be a little mosquito in somebody's ear to inspire them to grow their own food, to be accountable to the food they, they eat, to maybe take a little bit of a different perspective and to, to question. I think we don't question enough. Four people have died along the N3 highway in Linksfield in Johannesburg. This follows massive flooding in some parts of In November of 2016, this, this was news. Areas are Modderfontaine and Linksfield. Emergency officers say that they In the worst case scenario, it won't be. In other words, the difference between now and this future is that floods, storms and heat waves will be in the weather report, not on the front page. This is climate change, and 97% of the world's scientists agree that humans have caused it. In the worst case scenario, things are dark, literally and figuratively. South Africa has bought into nuclear power, and the building is constantly being delayed. This means that electricity supply is intermittent and expensive. Politicians have become rich off the nuclear deal and corruption has become the driving force of government. To top it off, the Russians have their fingers on the light switch.
if the worst happens and and we do have a sign off on all of these nuclear power stations boy we're in trouble this is science writer and journalist Leonie Jubey if south africa commits to building a fleet of nuclear power stations the way it is we will be broke by 2050 um the costs of these power stations is just absolutely astronomical. I mean, I don't even know how it is that the government is even considering this when you look at the basic numbers in terms of how much it will cost relative to our our GDP. There's just no ways we can pay that. There's no ways we can pay back the debt. Um, so it's a staggering that um, the vested interests of people who are go- going to be in power just for just a few more years could lock the next generation into debt that they will be absolutely crippled by. If you are the dealer, I'm out of the game. If you are the healer, means I'm broken and lame. If thine is the glory, then mine must be the shame. You want it darker. We kill the flame. If this becomes our future, chances are that I will be able to buy solar panels or move away. To some degree, I would be able to protect myself. There is no place like an unfolding disaster to bring into focus who is privileged and who isn't. As Kumi Naidu, South African human rights activist and previous head of Greenpeace International explains, To be honest, I grew up, like many others did, thinking that environmental concerns were something that were concerns of white people and rich people, you know. And really, it's important that we recognize that it is the poor that suffer the most as a result of environmental destruction. And in a very fundamental way, environmental destruction is an additional tragedy for those that live in poverty already. The worst case scenario is built on a future of nuclear power, climate change and rising inequality. The combination of these factors makes it a particularly toxic cocktail. But what if we remove two of these ingredients? Even though almost all scientists believe that humans are to blame for climate change, some still disagree. Coincidentally, Some among this minority also believe that nuclear is by far the best solution to our energy problems. Oh, well, quite simply, I'm one of the people that doesn't believe that there's man-induced global warming or climate change. This is Kelvin Kim, the CEO of Nuclear Africa, a nuclear consultancy, and the chairperson of the state-owned South African Nuclear Energy Corporation, NEXA. NEXA has a major part to play in South Africa's nuclear future. Well, the thing is also that you know, nuclear is the cleanest, safest, cheapest form of electricity, contrary to a lot of what you might hear. Uh, nuclear emits nothing while it's running. There's no truth in any stories that there's nuclear radioactive gas coming out or liquid coming out or anything like that. A nuclear power station, when it's running, you can pitch a tent on the boundary fence and live there for years or something in complete safety. Most scientists and activists like Kumi Naidu think differently. To put it simply, nuclear energy is too expensive, it's too dangerous, 
and as a solution to taking millions of South Africans, especially in the rural areas who live in energy poverty, it will deliver too little too late. There's lots of lies being told by the advocates of nuclear and you must look at who are the ones who speak in favor of nuclear. They are ones who are in the industry, they have vested interests, they stand to benefit personally and professionally and people should take that into account because we are being told that the whole country are a bunch of idiots. There's just a bunch of experts that know best and they can and, and, and the rest of us have to follow them like sheep and we're not prepared to do that. Mr. Backlash, Mr. Backlash, just who do you think I am? You raise my taxes, freeze my wages and send my son to Vietnam. You give me second class houses and second class schools. I don't know about you. But the looming worst-case scenario makes me want to run away and build my own climate and nuclear-proof bunker. But I don't know how to build a bunker. And the good news for me is that not everything is lost. There is still time, and there are people using what they have to build a better future. The third future scenario is not a utopian vision, nor is it hopeless. It's a compromise. In this future, we are moving towards renewable energy, but we are still relying on coal. The battle to hold government accountable is ongoing. Climate change is still a reality, and we are trying to adapt to the changing weather. This is a future based on compromise, where the heroes are not that different from you and I, and it might just be our reality if they succeed. So 100% totally mad about nature and would love to, to, to have a piece of it and look after it as a steward for, for future generations. Enter Kinesh Chetty. He is a young solar power entrepreneur based in Johannesburg. Even though he lives in the city, Kinesh's big love is reptiles. These scaly creatures have helped him form a deep connection with nature. Is there like one time you've seen an animal or plant or some sort of scene where you remember this making a huge impression on you? Yeah, it was when I caught my first snake. This animal was just so cool. I'd never had the chance to interact with a wild snake like that. And it was super cool. And that was like a defining moment. Kinesh has invented a solar power system that he says is the cure for load shedding. We're building little power plants that go on people's roofs. Kinesh shows us that thinking small is part of the solution. But it won't work if our common infrastructure is broken. So there's these really nifty, cool, large-scale, renewable energy sources that, uh, that can be used in conjunction with an aging fleet, that would for me be a, a really cool structure to say, okay, we have to take this coal-fired power station off-grid, therefore we need four to eight renewable power plants that need to go up somewhere. And it doesn't actually matter where, because we have such an awesome grid that wherever the energy is produced, we can dispatch it to anywhere it's needed. Kinesha's energy revolution starts in the suburbs. But in South Africa, 
the middle class is small, and a working energy future must include the poor. And what's killing poor people is this increased tariff of 25% every single year. This is activist Desmond Dessar of the South Durban Community Environmental Alliance. Like Kumi Naidu, Desmond believes in the connection between inequality and environmental destruction. He calls his fight a battle to end energy poverty. As you can hear, Desmond is a busy man, rushing between meetings and protests. This is great for activism, not so great for sound quality. This energy policy that we have is providing energy for the big corporations and big energy users, such as such as BHP Billiton, at a very cheap cost, and exporting their products obviously to make huge profits at the expense of society in South Africa. So the energy has to be transformed. We need a transformed energy system that looks at building and creating jobs and providing cheap energy to people and removing people from the grid for those that really can't afford, moving them off the grid by providing these renewable energy sources. We need the goodwill of government. We need somebody with a vision. We need the vision of the people of the of the country. We need leaders who pick out the box who can put the people first rather than think for themselves. Because the nuclear energy deal is closed behind closed in secrecy, it's confidential and it's done behind closed doors with a lot of corruption. Whereas the renewable, it's public, it's open, people can benefit and they'll see if they are benefiting or not. So we need something, we need a new way of thinking, we need a new system like renewable, we need leadership. We actually can see the benefit of that, in, not only in the short term, but in the long term. During the production of the story, I have listened to hours and hours of tape of people who know about the future of energy. And honestly, I feel pretty unsettled. And if I have to take one conclusion away, it is that the fight for a better environment doesn't exist in a vacuum. I'll let Kumi Naidu explain. Firstly, I think it's important to recognize when human beings are struggling to have money, to buy food, to educate the children, to have a roof over their head, and so on, it's very hard for them to have too much of space in their lives to think about anything beyond survival. Uh, you know, not just environmental concerns, but just, you know, people are struggling to survive uh, in many cases. So, so that's the important thing to recognize. That's a reality and that's a reality everywhere in the world. However, and this is a criticism of 
the NGO movement really, the way we are structured created the wrong idea that there is one silo called, one compartment called environment, you know, which Greenpeace and WWF and Friends of the Earth drive, for example, at the global level. And then there's something else called human rights, which Amnesty and Human Rights Watch. And then there's, you know, poverty, which, you know, Oxfam and Action Aid and so on. So, so these, these, the world doesn't operate in these compartments, you know, that there's something you can say, well, human rights starts here and finishes here. Environmental, the destroying of environmental assets and environmental rights is a fundamentally a violation of human rights. So I believe very, very strongly the struggle to address, say, poverty, human rights and social justice on the one hand, and the struggle to address environmental and climate concerns on the other must, can and should be seen as two sides of the same coin. The heart of this story is about relationships. The relationship between generations, the heritage left from father to daughter, and the relationship that we all have with society. And for those of us with options, it comes with a choice. The driver has to be that families look beyond the, the current dominant generation to, to, to future. Um, otherwise, they're going to be blamed. And so they should be for, for using up the, the global commons to, to satisfy their greed. You know, going back to, to sustainable development, how do you deal with it? Do you, do you look after the global commons? Or do you build yourself a spaceship or a bunker for you and your family? And this is the, this is the big problem. Where do we go to achieve sustainability? I hope increasingly that there's a drive to look after the, the global commons. Because a, a spaceship and your family can be a very lonely place into the future. You have been listening to the last part of Sound Africa series, Nuclear SA. You can find the three earlier episodes in this series and all our other podcasts on soundafrica.org. You can also find out how to subscribe and never miss an episode. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for updates about everything we do. If you like what you heard, give us a review in iTunes. Somehow that makes it easier for everyone else to find us. You can also just tell your neighbor that you've heard something cool. This podcast is made possible with support from the Heinrich Bull Foundation, Southern Africa. You can learn more about their work on za.boell.org. It is produced and edited by Nerodi Price with production help from Rasmus Beetsk. <laughs>